Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. Focusing on this gospel account, you might not be surprised to learn that there are multiple accounts of what happened on Easter. There are four, as all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have recorded what that Easter looked like. You'll also be astonished to know that they don't agree, that they're distinctly different in some phases and diverge wildly in others, because even from the beginning, Christians don't see, hear, and experience things the same. We are different people even though we are united in one body in Jesus Christ. And all of us have been empowered to see and encounter things and process that in our own unique way and share it with our own voice. And the Gospels affirm this, not only in the multiplicity of four Gospel accounts, but also in this reading today. There have been times throughout history where people have attempted to try to put all four accounts together and they make no sense and it's really cute, but we're just not even going to try today. Instead, we're just going to focus here on this. And we have three different disciples, two apostles and one Mary who's a disciple who have come and they experience Easter very differently in one gospel account. And if we go back to that day, we have to recognize the way in which Mary shows up. She is deeply, darkly mourning. She has watched as everything went downhill into absolute chaos and destruction and ended, culminated in the death of Jesus on the cross. And she was struck by this so deeply because Jesus had healed her. He had made her whole again, and it was such an important experience that Mary became a follower of his. She listened to his teachings. She became a servant to he and the apostles. As they were traveling around, she would travel too, and there were other women who did this who would take care of them by providing food and cooking for them, and whenever possible, I would assume doing their laundry, helping them to be supported as they continued the ministry that Jesus began. And as they were doing this, she became very very ingrained and very deeply combined in this small traveling community of believers. And then she, like the apostles, watched as on Sunday, the previous Sunday, he entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday in the midst of hosannas and the proclamation that the king has come. She watched this massive parade as people seemed to turn out in giant crowds and proclaim the goodness of the messianic prophecy fulfilled. There was excitement. Everybody seemed to finally be on board. And then Jesus went in on Monday morning and overturned some tables. And yet, miraculously, he was still around for Tuesday. And things seemed to be okay on Tuesday. He was right on top of his witty verbal banter. And he was going right on with his teachings. Things things seemed to be going all right. They were fine. Wednesday, still around. Still pushing limits and maybe some buttons, but still around. And then comes Thursday, the Passover Seder, and something really weird happens. All of a sudden, one of the apostles leaves. And comes back with a contingent, and they arrest Jesus. 
And then it is 24 hours of nightmare as Mary witnesses firsthand that they charge him and try him. They beat him and humiliate him before they finally hang him on the cross to die. And she is there to witness this. And so she comes that first Easter deeply depressed. And she comes with one goal in mind, to pay her final respects to Jesus. She has come ready to anoint his body, to do the final preparation before he is sealed in the tomb, to get some closure, to to honor the one who had changed her life forever, the one in whom she had so much hope and faith. She came for this purpose. And then when she came and saw that the stone had been rolled away, her greatest fear was that they have desecrated his, li- his place where he was laying. Or that even worse, they stole his body. That's her fear. And so she does what she can only think to do. She runs to get two of the leaders of the apostles. She goes to get Peter and one of the other apostles, who's unnamed, but is quite possibly John. She goes to get them. They come running back. And as they come running back, all of a sudden we start to get new perspectives here. The beloved disciple comes, and he's a little faster. Apparently, Simon Peter needs to step up his mile game because he's lagging. And the beloved disciple gets there first and peeks in, doesn't go in, but peeks in and sees these linen wrappings and thinks to himself, why would these linen wrappings be here? If you were going to hijack a body, you would want to take the covering. And so something is amiss. He doesn't understand what's going on. Finally, Simon Peter shows up. He doesn't just peek in. He walks boldly into the tomb. He gets to see something that the other disciple did not see, that they have taken the head wrapping, a specific linen used for this, and it's been rolled up and carefully placed far aside from the other linens. There's some kind of weird machination at work here. Somebody very carefully removed the head wrapping. Trust me, if you weren't going to keep the body wrapping on, please keep the head wrapping on if you're going to steal the body. And so... He is there, he sees the extra wrapping, but he doesn't believe. The other one suddenly has this moment where, yes, I believe, I see and I believe. Something powerful has happened here that I didn't expect. And then they do, what is interesting, they go home. They just leave, the body's gone, one believes, one maybe doesn't, and they just went home. And meanwhile, poor Mary's standing outside still crying, and I bet she's ugly crying. You know what I mean? Like, she's so crying, the tears are coming down, there's like mucusy things happening, and she's crying because she's so hurt, they've just abandoned her too! And she's crying, and at that moment, she peeks back into the tomb, and she sees these two angels, and she can't even process this. And they say, you know, who are you looking for? And she's like, I'm looking for the body of Jesus, where is he? And then she turns around, and Jesus is standing there, in the flesh, and she's, she can't see Jesus. Through her tears, her pain, and her sorrow, she can't see Jesus. And it's not until he says her name, he calls her by name, that she can look up and clear her vision and see that her Lord, her risen Savior, is standing there and speaking to her. And her response is, she wants to cling to him. She wants to run and embrace him and celebrate that he is alive, that he has returned, that somehow some miracle has happened here, and there he is in the flesh. It's quite possible that she had witnessed the raising of Lazarus. And so she knew that Jesus had this power, but can you raise yourself from the dead? And here he is. And she just wants to grab onto him and never let him go again. And Jesus says, no, you can't do this yet. I have to go do a little bit more work and ascend to the Father, and I've got a job for you, Mary. 
He entrusts her with the greatest message that has ever been delivered. All of the work and all of the deliveries combined between FedEx, DHL, and UPS could not manifest the power of what Mary is given from Jesus. Go and tell them that I am risen. Tell them that the prophecy has come true and I have conquered death. And she at that moment has a decision to make. She can do what countless Christians have done for generations. She could have experienced Easter, come in her finery, sang a little songs, prayed a little prayer, and gone home and locked Jesus back up in the tomb until next Easter. Or she could choose to take that power, that invitation, the opportunity, and turn around and become one of the greatest evangelists ever overlooked. Because the apostles wouldn't have known if she had not told them. The one who saw and believed had not seen He still did not know where Jesus was. And the truth is that if we continued reading the gospel accounts, we would find that even after Jesus appears to some of them, they don't all believe. They struggle with this. And so here we are, and we've been given that same opportunity that Mary had to tell the story. And why is that important? Because the world needs the multiplicity of the proclamation, not just one voice. Not just one perspective or one spin on it. It needs to hear all of us. If you think about art, if you think about if every one of us here had a paintbrush and we all had to paint the same direction, same stroke direction with the same color, wow, wouldn't that be an amazing painting? But instead, because of the change in direction and the way that the light hits it and the different colors that we can use and the different ways and the hardness that we can use to make those strokes and those patterns, we can reveal something glorious on a canvas. Stained glass isn't all cut the same way with the same color and the same clarity or the same transparency. Instead, it's because of the multiplicity of each piece that the light shines through and brings forth glory when you look at stained glass. And the same is true with instrumentation. If all of them sitting back there had the same instrument and played the same sound at the same time, that would be fun for about 30 seconds. But because of the different instrumentations and the way that they can variate their their sounds and and modulate, the way that they can change how things sound, it's a symphony and not noise. That's what's glorious about God implicitly understanding this creative freedom that we've been given. When I was about in preschool, my mother tells me about how she enrolled me in a non-traditional painting class. Because as you can tell, I just abide in tradition and normalcy. <laughs> so she enrolled me in this class, and apparent I don't remember it, I think I blocked it out. Because apparently we did things like paint with pudding and cooked like spaghetti. And I'm a neat freak. I don't like to be dirty. So just thinking about it, I need to go use the hand sanitizer that I stashed in the pulpit. And I remember thinking to her, like, why, why would you do this? You know I was like a neat kid. Why would you enroll? Why would you put me through this trauma? My OCD kicks in. Why would you do this? And the message that she was giving me was that I needed to see other people experiencing life differently. I needed to see that there were other ways of doing things, that it wasn't just my way or the way, that other people would do things differently. I mean, she'll tell you, there were kids like painting their faces with the pudding. I can only imagine what that looked like. That's not my thing. But God bless those people that want to paint their faces with pudding. 
God bless people who realize that they say things differently and they see Easter differently. Easter is glorious. And one of the reasons that we keep the kids in worship is because it takes all of us to tell the Easter story. Kids bring a different perspective to Easter. They get up, they're excited, but there's something even about the smallest child that recognizes that Easter is more than eggs and chocolate bunnies. That there's something vibrant, there's something alive about Easter that they just want to be a part of. They recognize that. And then those of us who are gradually getting more mature physically, those of us who are living our lives and more and more experiencing death, and the way that it affects us, we recognize that Easter means something different. Inside those worship packets that you got, there's a page that accounts for all of these flowers up here. Almost all of these flowers were given in memory of someone who has died. And when you look at these flowers, they are a visual, a physical manifestation of the promise that some of us who are older have about Easter. That when Christ rose from the dead, He was giving us our first glimpse into the fact that death is not the final end. That it doesn't have the final say. And every one of these flowers becomes a reminder, not only to us, but through us, that there is a piece of us that is missing because of death. And God is holding that person in trust, and we are clinging every Easter to the promise of the resurrection. That it's not over. And that every Easter, when we hear the retelling and we remember that Jesus rose from the dead, there's those of us who say, I need to know that, Lord. I need to know that. I need to know that it's true for my grandmother. I need to know that it's true for my dad. I need to know that the person that shaped my life in such a powerful way is my mentor and my friend, that that person, I shall see them again. And Easter becomes that reminder And so what God is saying to us now through the recounting of multiple people not experiencing, seeing, and saying the same thing about that first resurrection day was that every one of us has a voice on Easter. And we have to figure out how to say it. And it's more than every person I see today, I'm going to say, he is risen, and wait till they knock back out, he is risen indeed. That's not what that's about. Instead, it becomes empowering us to take our perspective on Easter and say, you know what? Today was really hard because this is my first Easter without my mom. It's a really hard thing. But when I went, I heard and I'm remembering and I'm clinging today to the fact that Jesus rose and his tomb was empty and one day hers shall be too. Or it's the kids saying, you know what I love about Easter? I love that my whole family comes together, that Jesus and the empty tomb means that we all come together and we get to have all this fun and this joy and we get to celebrate. And if we're really good at teaching our kids, we remind them that one day this will be true for all people. All people will get to gather together and celebrate forever and have that Easter excitement, that passion that the kids wake up at 5 a.m. to hunt 100 eggs for. That's what it's about. Easter is about finding our voice. And for some of us, let's just be honest and receive and be open to the fact that for some of us, it's, I've been up forever. This day really stinks. I can't wait to nap. We can receive that too. But what we want to do is make sure that every year we find some way to talk about our Easter experience differently. This Easter is not the same for me as last Easter. And next Easter will be different. And so what we need to do is figure out what is it that I can say about Easter today? 
Because there are people who are so overcome with the power of death in their lives. There are people in this world that need to know that even if their families are gone or missing or deceased, that God will create a new family for them. That God will not only provide a family here in the days ahead to sustain them, encourage them, and love them, and enable them to continue onward, but that God shall restore their family in the kingdom to come. And all of this is part of the Easter story. And you thought it was just, look, the tomb's empty. It's so much bigger than that. It's a big story, and it takes a multiplicity of voices to tell it. And God wants your voice, your perspective, your feelings to be part of that proclamation. Because just like Mary, we all have a choice to make. Once we exit this sacred space and we walk out these doors, it becomes a decision each one of us will make about whether or not we will share the Easter gospel. That is our decision. And yet, every single one of us has been privileged to not only be present, but to bask in the presence of God and to allow God to use us to continue the work that God began in Mary Magdalene, that God began in the apostles, that God has carried through the ages, through the testimony of Scripture, the lives and the witness of the saints, so that today we can be here and we can scatter the seed for the next group that will come in and experience Christ risen today on Easter. May that be what we give back in gratitude, in thanksgiving, and ceaseless joy this day, this Easter. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.